these verses here. So if you're looking at Matthew chapter 7, um, verses 21 through 23, we'll read those in a few minutes. But, you know, we as a country, and we kind of see this kind of unfolding now with, with a lot of the COVID stuff in our country, um, with, the, with the, the rallies and whatnot to open up this country, we don't like to be told we can't do things. Um, it's not an American thing. I don't, I'm going to make sure we do it because everybody who has kids knows no problem, no matter what language or what country you grew up in. No kid likes to be told no, right? And so they like to be told no. They like to tell you no. They, we, like, we don't have a problem telling other people no, but we don't like to be told no. We don't like to be denied things, right? And so um, whether it's getting into some kind of, joining some kind of club or going into a store, right? Even just the limiting of, of people going into one, one location or coming to church in particular, right? We're being told we, we have to be smart and we should be smart about what we're doing and, and who's around, but we, there's, a, there's a fine line kind of what we do or what we should and shouldn't do. Um, so, but not everybody gets into things, right? So around 20, 2007, 2008, because I remember when I was teaching for the Air Force, um, there was a study done by the Pentagon and it found that 75% of, of America's youth, so people between the ages of about 18 to 24, 25, were ineligible for military service, right? These people, for whatever reason, usually it's a criminal past, fitness, weight, those types of disqualifiers that made them ineligible. So three quarters of the, of the country in that age group could not join the military. Now, so that means roughly 25% of the people are allowed to join the military, right? And so you break those up by the branches. And so we still have a lot of people because it's, it's an all-volunteer force and Congress limits the number of people that are allowed in at any one time. So it's not like we, we have a shortage necessarily of, of people in the military, so we're not in danger or anything like that. But, but it's interesting because people who go to, join, go to the recruiter's office, right? They get told, no, you don't qualify. And there's other, there's other hoops. You, it does not, doesn't mean everybody's just flat out denied. It's just sometimes there's a little more work to be done. With that, but same time, they they get told no, you can't come, you cannot do this thing, no matter how bad you wanted to become a pilot or whatever else, and you get in the military, like to be a pilot, you have to have perfect vision, you can't have glasses, these things like that. So even in there, you're, there's still things you can't do because of whatever reasons, right? So we get told no, we can't do things all the time, right? And so other countries they have mandatory military service, so they it's probably flipped, so probably 75% of the people do. Join, do, get, do have to do it, right? So, but we don't like to be told no. And so this, what Jesus is going to say to these people here in a minute, we're going to read it, comes to kind of a shock, I think. And you can kind of tell by the, what the crowd, how the crowd reacts. And in our day as well, how people react to this, this news that guess what? Not everybody's going to get into heaven. That's why I have the title of this is not everyone gets in. And it's a question mark because people think, well, that's not very fair. Right? Why don't why don't why isn't everybody getting? Why doesn't God let everybody in? And so we're going to look at this, right? And so here's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one through twenty-three. He says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven." On that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name?" Then I will announce to them, this is Jesus, and I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. 
And that's some pretty harsh words, it sounds like, from coming from Jesus, who's supposed to be all about love. That's what a lot of people want to think. Well, he just loves everyone. So that should therefore mean that everybody gets into heaven. He'll just wrap his arms around everybody and hug them and say, come on in. I, well, everybody's welcome. But clearly here, there's certain things about this statement that make that, that statement untrue. Right? And so here's the point of this, though, is that being a Christian is more than doing works in his name. It's about surrendering your life and doing God's will. Right? So being a Christian is more than just saying, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I do works in his name, I feed the poor, or whatever. It's about surrendering your life and doing God's will. Because that's what it's always been about. The good works should be the outpourings of doing God's will because you're doing the good things that your Father wants you to do. So we have two ways to look at this for the, for the, for the outline for those of you who are taking notes and have it here. And I'll try to post this up, but really it's pretty easy. The first point is that man's, what we think or man's idea of membership to get into heaven. And then we have God's idea of membership. That's going to be the second point. And the application part will be at the end of it. And so depending on what Bible version you have, you know, we have the bold headings there. And so a lot of them have something somewhere between verses 13 and 20, 23, some, something named something like entering the kingdom, right? So it kind of depends on what verse, version you have. They're all good, but the, the, the headings and the, the, the verses and whatnot are put in there afterwards. Like the Greeks didn't go around and go, let me give this a title, right? We did that afterwards to kind of make it easier for us to ingest and kind of remember certain things, right? So... It's not just an addition for man just to say, well, I'm going to change the Bible because they didn't. They just broke it up into easier sections to kind of give a flow of thought. Because if you look at the Greek text, it's all one giant block of text with not even any breaks in the words. So you have to really know what it is, so what you're reading, right? So it makes it easier for us as English speakers to, to read it. And so Jesus is talking about this whole time, this whole sermon is talking about what it means to be a follower of God. Right? His, his entire Sermon on the Mount has been turning everything that people thought about what it meant to be a God follower on its head. Right? He says, this is what it is, right? We go through, you go through the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Right? People are like, that doesn't make sense. I'm rich, I should inherit the earth. The poor people shouldn't get anything. Right? All these things that, we, that people thought about in this day, in Jesus' time, and all the way up to our day, Jesus is saying, look, this is actually the way it works. Because I have constructed the world, so I know it, right? And so the preceding verses to, to, to verse 21, so you know, 13 through 19, 20, Jesus is talking about the good fruit, the bad fruit, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, how to recognize the difference between good teaching and bad teaching, good teachers, bad teachers, and how we must be careful to always keep our eyes on God so we do not stray from his words and his teachings. And so Warren Wiersbe sums this up. He says that the two paths are the start of the Christian life. And this is kind of a recap of these, this section, by the way. So the two passages that Jesus talks about, the narrow way and the, and the broad way, are, are the start of the Christian life. And the two trees are the types of growth that we can experience in our Christian life. Right? But here, Jesus is talking about the end of this process, right? the end of it. He's dealing with the day of judgment, and that's why he says, on that day. Right? So when, it, when we hear those types of phrasing, in the Bible, when Jesus is talking about it, on that day, the day of the, the last day, the day of the Lord, a lot of times those are referring to the last day. And so he's saying, on this last day, when everybody's here, kind of, we'll just, I kind of always picture just this line of people, 
They're waiting to be judged, unfortunately, and says, this is the way it is. On this day, this is what's going to happen. Right? And so as Christians, we have to have a clear understanding of the gospel message and what that means for us individually, right? and as, as individuals, and also how it affects other people as we share the good news with them. Because like I've said it many times, it's a quote from Spurgeon, that we're not wearing t-shirts or jackets or badges to say something like with an elect or saved or chosen or however you want to frame that. We don't have shirts on or jackets that say, I'm already in the club. Right? We don't have letterman jackets to say, oh, I'm good. You know, we don't know who it is, so we have to assume that nobody is saved yet, and we have to tell them the message. Now, we are not saving them. I want to make sure we're clear on that, but we're telling them the good news about this, telling them about Jesus so they can hear the message because the Holy Spirit will work through us at the right time to tell them the message. Right? So Jesus is coming to this answer. He's answering a question that comes up even today. And people say, look, I... These people here, in the, in, they're talking to Jesus, and they're saying, I've cast out demons and prophesied in your name, right? I'm, I'm a Bible teacher. I, tell, I go to church. I do these things. What do you mean I'm not getting into heaven? Right? That's a shock. What am I doing it for? Right? Why am I coming here? I can just have my Sundays off and watch football anytime I want or do whatever it is. Right? I can do these things, and if I don't have to do it, if you're telling me I'm not in, then what's the point? And so... I tell people I'm a Christian. I say I'm a Christian. They say, see, I bear good fruit. But you see, there's more to it than that because you have to mean it. And if you're really worried about like, man, what do you mean? Like, it's probably a good sign. But if you say, you know what? I'm doing this basically to earn a paycheck. You're in the wrong business. You're in the wrong business for this. So, so people need, we need to have a good idea and understanding of what this is. So many people through time have thought they could just proclaim that they're Christians, right? We see uh, you know, televangelists, people who start a religion, you know, the, the, they end up becoming cults because they, they say they're Christians, they say they're God followers, but yet they're doing things completely contrary to what Jesus says. And so we know that those are false teachers, and some of those people are easier to identify and stay away from, but other people are kind of, they're pretty well close to the truth, you know, and so we don't, we have to be very, very careful about this. So but they think everybody, because I've, been, I've made a profession of faith, that I'm going to get into heaven. But you see, theologically, though, there's a term called universalism. And this is a doctrine that teaches that all people will be saved. It's all people that will be So other names for this doctrine are universal restoration, universal reconciliation, universal restitution, and universal salvation. So basically, the main argument is that a good and loving God would not condemn people to an eternal torment in hell. Right? How could a God who's so loving supposedly say, well, you know what? You just, you're just not in. So you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to this place forever and ever and ever, and you're never going to get out, and it's too bad. And people have a problem with this. If, you talk to, if you've had atheist friends or talked to some people, this is one of the reasons they say, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive with what, how God is. So I'm not going to believe this. Because if he's really going to condemn people to hell, then I don't want any part of that. Because they don't want God's justice. They don't want to be told they have to do certain things to get into, to, into heaven. Right? I'm sure these people don't have a problem paying for a ticket to Disney World or Disneyland because they have to do that to get in. And it's the same thing. There are certain prices of admission to get in. And so some universalists, though, they believe that after a certain cleansing period, God will free the inhabitants of hell and reconcile them to himself. 
And so basically that's kind of the idea of purgatory in a sense as well. And there's some nuances with that as well, but that's kind of the gist of it. Others say that after death, people will have another opportunity to choose God. Right, another opportunity. Well, I'll come back around when you're ready. And I'm going to ask you the question again. Do you want to be saved? You know, this type of thing. And so for some who adhere to universalism, though, the doctrine also implies that there are also many ways to get into heaven, right? So I can, choose, I can be a Buddhist. I can be a Muslim. I can be a Hindu. I can just be a good person and I can get into heaven just like everybody else. Right, so the price of admission is different for what kind of, it's a package deal, I guess, of what, what kind of room you want on the cruise ship. Do you want a window, or you know, or do you want to be on the outside of the boat or the inside of the boat? One costs $1,000, one costs $500, but you're still going to the same location, so who cares at the end of the day, right? That's kind of their theory. But this salvation system is directly linked to our fallen nature, right? We want to do this because we don't want to be told no. So we concoct these stories, we concoct these things and say, well... I don't think God would do that. I don't think a loving God would be, act this way, even though we have no idea what it means to be a loving God. We cannot fathom what it is to be God. So instead, though, we develop our own ideas of what this really means. And so even though we have words directly to the contrary of what Jesus says, Jesus is saying things directly contrary to the universalism because he's saying many Many will say to me that I, did, I was a Christian. I said I was a Christian, but they're not getting in. So clearly, if it says many are not getting in, therefore universalism can't be true. Because Jesus doesn't contradict. He's God, so he can't contradict themselves and say, well, I'm going to let everybody in, but I'm going to say not everybody's going to get in. It doesn't make sense, right? Because we don't have to go very far to see that this is false. This is flawed. This system of universalism is false. And it just lulls people into a false sense of, of, of uh, security. And it's more dangerous because it's this false teaching that Jesus is warning about. So the word many, the poloi, right? So if you, hear the, if you ever heard the term the hoi poloi, right? That's the, the many people, right? The lots of people that we have. It's principally, if not exclusively, the false prophets that he's talking about, right? So these false prophets disguise themselves as sheep, right? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. They said, look, look at me. I'm, I'm the sheep just like you. I'm just teaching things and I'm going along. And if you can talk well and speak well and you sound smart and if you say certain things with a certain amount of authority, people tend to believe it, right? I had a friend who was an instructor and we could hear him teaching because our classroom walls weren't very thick, and we were all in the office, and we heard him saying things that weren't 100% accurate to the students. And we were like, well, that's not right. But he was saying it in such a way that everybody believed it. Because they didn't know any better either. Because right? they are expecting you as a teacher to teach them the correct thing. Now, we corrected him. We said, hey, dude, you can't. That's wrong. And we went, and, and that's what we should be doing with our brothers and sisters who are responsible or maybe teaching or trying to teach things and say, look... This is what the Bible says, and we help point them in the right direction so we don't lead, lead, lead people astray. Excuse me. Because this false prophet, though, the people who don't care, the messianic pretenders are going to do the same thing. And so Matthew talks about this in chapter 24, verse 5. The pretenders, the people who see an opportunity to take advantage of these people, the sheep, are going to act like wolves, and they're going to rush in, and they, and they don't care because they think they've been doing a good job. But the word poloi, the, the word many isn't just for, he's not just referencing the false teachers that, that are mentioned in a few verses above. He's talking about everybody. 
All the unbelievers are also not getting in. You have to be a believer. That is the price of admission. Not everyone who says that I, that say, Lord, Lord, right, the ones that proclaim, because they're just doing that only. They're just proclaiming it with their words only, and they're not doing it with their deeds. <clears throat> because Jesus says, but only the one who does the will of my Father, right, and thereby shows that his allegiance to Jesus is Lord, Lord, is genuine, right? Because if you say that, Lord, Lord, I'm going to do, what I, do whatever you say, that means you're going to do whatever he says. Right? When I joined the Air Force, I swore the oath to the Constitution, and I also swore the oath essentially to the Air Force to say, I'll do whatever the Air Force tells me to do. I'll go where they tell me to go. I'll live where they tell me to live. I'll do whatever it is. Now, I have freedom to do certain things in between there, but there's ramifications. If I don't want to go to a location, if I don't want to come to Vandenberg Air Force Base, I would have had to get out. Right? I, they'd say, well, this is the price of admission. This is what it means to be in the Air Force. You do what I say. And we subjugate ourselves, we, we, we humble ourselves and say, okay, you needed me to hear, so I will be here. It's more so with God, when we're Christians, we do that more so. When God says, I need you to do this, it's like, well, God, you know, I really wasn't planning on that today. You know, I, I'd like to do something else. How about I go over here? Now, we've talked about it before. How about I go over this place instead of that place? Because that place is nicer than this place. There's rich people in this neighborhood. There's poor people over here. I don't want to be, I'm allergic to poor people. I don't want to be around them. I can't, I, I feel much more comfortable over here. And God says, I don't care. If you're a follower of mine, you will do, what, do, do my will. And so our faith in God and our willingness to do God's will is brought about by being born again by God, the Holy Spirit. So we go to John 3. If you guys want to turn there, we'll look at John 3, the first few verses. And this is the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night and says, I want to understand the teaching. I want to understand what you're doing. And Jesus replies in verse 3, he says, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, here we have this qualification. This is how can anyone, Nicodemus asks, how can anyone be born when he is old? Right? It doesn't make sense. It defies natural law. How, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be born again? Because we're thinking only in physical terms. And in verse 5, and I have it up on the board, the screen if you can see it. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so there seems to be no reason why people are chosen to have eternal life and those that are not. Right? And this is what frustrates some people. It's like, well, how, how do I know that you're chosen or why are you chosen and I'm not? Or, you know, we kind of have this thing. And so if you want to break the system down a little further, right, we... we, we some people are like, well, I chose to be here. And that's totally fine because you do make a choice. You still make a choice to follow God. You still succumb and humble yourself to the Holy Spirit that gets inside you and tells you what to do. Right? So there's that fine line, but it's also a, a bigger line of how much work is God doing and how much work you're doing. Well, the answer is God's doing all the work. He's done all the work. You are, just, you are finally getting on the train, essentially. 
right? So we are chosen by God's own selection process, right? He makes us good, whatever it is, he makes us perfect. We are not saved because he sees the good deep down inside of us, right? He's like, well, he's a good person. She's a good person eventually. So I know he'll come around, she'll come around. They'll make good seeds. He's like, no, I'm planting the seed in you to grow. I'm going to redo all your soil so you produce plants. Yes, your soil was brown and dead and dry, just like we talked about the, 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 the trees, but you are going to have good soil and produce good fruit because you are one of my children. Right? Because he is the vine dresser, right? And he waters us, he grows us, he gives us the sunshine, he gives us the rain. And he's constantly tending and pruning us as his plants. Because he cares for us and he wants us to be successful. He, we, are, we are essentially his, his, his field. So he's constantly, constantly tending to us and making us produce this good fruit, right? And so even though, as, you know, as people, we don't like the rain so much. I hate when it rains and I don't have a hat on because I'm bald and the rain hits my head and it's annoying, right? We don't like rain a lot of times. We know it's good for us. We know it's good for the ground, but it's not necessarily good for us. But we know as, if we look at it that we are plants, God sending the rain as well as the sunshine is important to help it all grow. And so that means that we have to endure hardship and things like that, right? So, but we see this now that once we see this, that the, the, the God is the, he, he is the farmer. And so if we are the one who is judged, right? Because that's really what we're talking about here. We are the ones who are going to get judged because Jesus is going to stand there at the end of the day on that last day and judge us. There has to be a judge. And so God is the judge because he's the only one with the ability because he is the one that is just, Right, so God is the just. So this is this is now God's idea of kingdom membership. And so when people stand before God in the last day, right, we know He is going to judge those who were lawless, those who did not believe in His on His name, did not believe Him, and believe in Him and know who He was, and, and actually live according to His will. Right, He's going to say, "I never knew you. Depart from me." Right? He's, he's casting them out. He, he's not just saying, go over there and wait in line again, come back later when I'm ready for you. He says, get out. Right? So that's, the, that's the, the, the emphasis of the depart from me. So even though you were saying things in my name, you didn't really know me. You didn't really do this because of me. You did it in my name, but you weren't doing it for me. And so this word lawlessness that we have in verse 23 it's the only time he really mentions the law or anti-law in the, in the whole sermon, right? And so he's placed at this juncture, right? It takes into account the whole preceding exposition. Though everything about this is about following the law, how to do things, how to be a God follower. And so this term embraces both the failures, as one commentator says, that both the failures to obey the law as taught by Jesus, right? The sins of omission and the willful acts of disobedience or the sins of commission, right? So we kind of have a passive and an active active thing going on here. And so the expression the workers of lawlessness shows that such a person does not did not really live without law. The sin is to do their own will rather than the father's. Right? Just like the speed limit, it's kind of the easiest thing to say. I know what the speed limit sign is. I see it. Now I can choose to drive the speed limit or I can choose to not drive the speed limit. It's my willful disobedience against the law. That is the source of my sin, right? The, the sin 
on one hand is the speeding, but it's really the bigger fact is the fact that I've chosen to sin. I've chosen to go and exceed what the Father has said. And so that is where the danger lies, because we want to replace his rule with our own rule. Right? And we have to be very careful about how we do this, because we can say, oh, the Spirit told me to do this. And like, well, if the Spirit told you to do something that violates the law, you know, God's law in particular, you're doing it wrong. Right? God is not going to tell you to violate his own rule. And so we have this. And so at this heart, this lawlessness violates the foundational command to love God and love your neighbor. Right? So if, the, if anything that we do violates, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, but everything that violates that is wrong. So verse 23 repeats this theme of God's judgment in a way that makes it clear that true Christians cannot lose their salvation, though. Right? So if you're a truly a Christian, if you're truly doing God's will, And you're doing this, and even if we mess up, right, because we're going to speed, we're going to mess up, we know that. But we are forgiven. That doesn't mean we can do whatever we want and speed every single time we drive. And there's really no good reason to ever speed. But we know that we are doing God's will, and so we are saved. Because we believe fully in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus rejects the people saying, I never knew you. And so perhaps these people fooled many on earth, right? We know they're smooth talkers, they're false teachers. They're doing things that are dangerous because, and if people don't know what the law says, what God's word says, you can take it just like the devil and you can say almost the whole truth, but you change one or two words, you maybe leave out something or however they do it, you are now lying either way. And so these people who are using false truths, being false teachers, they may have fooled a lot of people on earth, but Jesus knows that they never had a saving relationship with him, right? They know, they, Jesus sees at that last day, he's going to look into your heart and say, you know, I knew you were just doing it for profit. I knew you were just doing it to, to be powerful, to gain people, to gain followers, whatever it is. You weren't doing it because you had a heart of my, to reflect mine. You had a heart to reflect your sinful nature. And we talked about it last week, right, man, sinful nature. So we have to be, have our heart of stone replaced with that heart of flesh as the Bible says. And he's warning people, Jesus is warning people who pretend to have a relationship with God. Right? Because it's the people who willfully pervert God's teachings. Right? So it's not too late. If you're still on this earth and you're doing this today, if you're telling the wrong things to people, you can stop. You can, re- you can learn everything you need to learn and know where you went wrong and stop doing that. You can stop sinning. You know that I, oh, this is a sin, okay, I'm going to stop doing this because I want, to will, or I, want to, I want to live for the will of the Father. And so in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, chapter 8, and I have, a, I have it for the slide, I have it, I think I have it on the slide here. <clears throat> chapter 8, in the first couple of verses, he says, it explains God's unhappiness with his people because they went away from God and says, Hosea chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Put the ram's horn to your mouth, one like an eagle comes against the house of the Lord, because they transgress my my covenant and rebel against my law. Israel cries out to me, God, my God, we know you. Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They have installed kings, but not through me. And that's talking about God. They have appointed leaders, but not without, without my approval. They make their silver and gold into idols for themselves, for their own destruction. 
Right, so here Hosea is, the prophet, is talking about the people who said they know God. We know you, God. We go to church. We do all these things. But yet, we want to have the leaders who are in charge who don't reflect godly values. We want to put people, we want to have idols that are not you because we're not supposed to make idols. We want to install kings, but not with God's approval, right? We want to do all these things, but because we think it's the right thing to do in our eyes and not your eyes. And so... We know in the Old Testament, we know that there was judgment in the form of the exile for the people. When all the leaders and everything they did, what they did, the people are exiled either to Assyria or Babylon, depending on which, which time period you talk about. And the, the Babylonian exile was obviously the larger one because that was done in judgment because they, God had to bring them back. But... The good news is that God is always faithful to his people. He didn't throw all of them out and say, well, I don't want you. I'll just go find a new people. He said, I made a covenant with you. I'm keeping you. You're my people. I'm your God. And so Jesus brings this idea up of knowing him and how God knows the, those who are considered his people. And so Luke 13, 27, it says, he will answer, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, you evildoers. And that's the, the kind of the Luke's version of, of, the, of the Sermon on the Mount. John 3.33 says, Whoever accepts his testimony has certified that God is truthful. And John 10.14 says, I am the good shepherd. Listen, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Right? We talked about this, I think, a few, quite a few sermons ago about the sheep. How they recognize, just like your dog, they recognize your voice if you're their shepherd. And this, you can say one thing and all of your sheep, even if they're like thousands of sheep out here and you have 150 you, you yell for your sheep and they're going to start coming running because they know you and they know your voice. And that's how we should be with God. We should, when we hear God's voice, we should come running because he is our shepherd. And so Timothy tells, or Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy, he says, but God's firm foundation stands. And then we're going to talk, that's next week's sermon actually, part of it is the foundation but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so we see how this works, right? God knows you. God's not just waiting here. He knows you are saved. He's just kind of waiting for you to, like I said, kind of get on the train. And again, there's that fine line there. But let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So when we make that declaration, when we get saved, as we say, we are departing from the sinful life we had. And so, but going back to the Gospel of John in chapter 3, and continuing that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, it kind of goes on the conversation, but in John 3, 14, says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. 
And so we see this kind of expansion from John, really what Jesus is talking about. The people who are evil, the people who hate the light, they're going to pretend like they're the light. They're going to be their own little flashlight and see, look, I'm here, I'm doing it. But really, we need to pay attention to the bright light that is the sun. Right? He is the one shining his light on all the darkness and exposing it. And so we see that at the end of the day, because the people who don't believe, the people who are already condemned. Man is already condemned. But there's good news because Jesus came to save those who, who can be saved or who are saved. He came to save the world through him. And it's not just about us. It's about all of God's creation. Right? So the world is not just talking about people here. He's talking about the entire creation. The entire creation will be made and remade. In Revelation, we see the entire world and new, new city, new everything. It's remade because it's not just about us. It's about God's entire creation. And so everything comes out in the wash, as I like to say, on that last day. And so which line will you be in, right? So here's our application, though, is that God leads you to the road of life. And so we're going to talk about this later in a few, few, few weeks, hopefully, with Psalm 107 as we get going into it. But I was doing research the last couple weeks for this, for my project. And so Psalm 107, 4, 7 says this. It says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he led them in a, by a straight way till he reached a city to dwell in. And so this word here, this Hebrew, the Hebrew word used for the word led has more of a connotation of he marched them by the straight way. Right? He marched them. If anybody who's spent time in the military, you know, you've seen military movies, you know you have a group of people. and There's somebody on the outside marching them, calling commands, column right, column left, left, right, left, right, right, down to your footstep cadence. He's moving these people from A to B. He's not just saying, hey, meet me at the mall today at some time. And you guys all filter your way down to the mall at one o'clock. He's saying, we are going to the mall. We're starting here and we're going there. Left, right, left, right, left, right, all the way down to the mall. That's what he's doing. That's the connotation of that he led them by a straight way. He's putting you on the correct path to get there. God leads them. He leads us to his path. He leads them on his path. He's in command of these wanderers that we are as he brings them to his city to get rest and food and water. Right? And so the second, second application point is that we must pay attention to God's teachings. So I think we, we closed with the sermon last, the week before last with, with Psalm 107, 43. It says, let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's act of faithful love. If you read through the books of wisdom, the Psalms, the Proverbs, there's a lot of stuff that says, here's the wise, here's what it means to be wise, here's what it means to be foolish. So if you're in doubt about what you're doing, if it's wise or foolish, look in the Proverbs, look in the Psalms, look at the book of Job, and they're going to tell you pretty quickly. If you do this, it's wise. If you do this, it's foolish. So really, what does that mean? If you follow God, it's wise. If you don't follow God, it's very foolish. And so the third part is, though, that we must not just hear his teachings but we also must do his will, right? It's easy to look in the book and go, oh, nobody should do this. It's unwise or it's foolish, right? The fool is appointed to great heights. Right? That's one in, in, in Ecclesiastes 9 or 10, 10, 6. So you can look at that and go, okay, I know that. I'm good. But what does it mean to do that, 
Right? You have to look at it and be able to actually apply and do his will. We have to listen to what God says. So Romans 2.13 says, For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So what is the law really? Is it all the rules that we have in here, the Exodus, the Leviticus, the Deuteronomy? No. The law really is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your strength. And then love your neighbor. Right? When Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, That's the, this is what it is. Everything else in the Bible is commentary. Everything else is descriptions and stories of people doing it and not doing that. Right? So really, if, we, if you plaster those on your walls and your arms or whatever you want to do, you look at that and go, am I doing this? Am I loving God with my decisions? If you ask that, you're probably not going to sin very much. You say, is this loving my neighbor? If, if you do something and say, it's probably not very loving, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Because those are the laws and commandments, right? If you do those things and you say that you're doing and you're teaching others to do these things, everything else falls into place. Because if you love God, you're going to listen to God and you're going to want to stop sinning. Right? You use your free will to stop doing willful disobedience to God. Because then you're going to give yourself over to his will for your life. Right? You're going to give your life over. You're going to be a living sacrifice, as Paul says, to God. And other people will see that. Other people are going to say, oh, you're, you don't just talk the talk. You walk the walk. You are actually doing these things. You are a living sacrifice for God. Right? And all these things that don't align with God's will will fall away. So wrapping it up. So um, I'm not sure how many of you guys have been to the East Coast. I didn't see it. I don't see it going to Anaheim. But in Florida, if you're on I-95, you can stop at a whole lot of uh, um, rest stops along the way, like especially if you come in from Georgia to Jacksonville. You can buy all kinds of Disney World t-shirts and souvenirs right there. You can like, look, I got my Disney World t-shirt. I'm not sure. I think they're either just knockoffs or, or I don't know if they're just the ones that didn't make it to Marshalls or didn't get to the park or whatever, right? But you can go buy those there even though you're a few hundred miles away from Orlando, right? And you can wear them. You can, you can go down to Florida, buy them, and come back. Like, I got my Disney World t-shirts. I'm good, you know? Um, you can do that. You can tell people you got it in Florida because it's not a lie, right? I went to Florida. I got my T-shirts. I came back. And people are going to ask you these things like, yeah, it was great. I went to Florida. But it may fall apart, though. Your lie may fall apart when people ask to see your pictures of how the trip went or ask maybe more detailed questions, right? And you've never set foot in the park at all. And it may not matter too much, right? It's Disney World. Who cares? And people will be content with those answers, like, oh, cool, you guys went to Disney World, that's an awesome vacation, whatever. Um, but until you meet that one person who's the Disney expert, and they start to see through your lies, like, what did you go here? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you eat this? Did you have that? No, I didn't. Okay, fine, I didn't go. We went to the rest stop, we got our shirts, we turned around and came back. Right? But your eternal life is way more than an amusement park ticket. Because a lot of times we want to go and pretend that this is the life we have, but... And most people don't call us on it. But see, at the end of the day, that on that day, as Jesus says, we are going to get called on it. And so the ones who pretend to be his people for whatever reason are going to pay for their false claims. 
Right? We hear the, the term stolen valor. We've probably heard it over the past several years, right? Various reasons people claim to be military heroes, wearing ranks and badges and, and accomplishments and medals of things that they did not earn. Right? A lot of times it's a Navy SEAL. People want to be Navy SEALs for whatever reason, so they go by the Trident and walk around in uniform. I've seen pictures of terrible pictures. I saw, I saw one picture somebody had. I think it was every ribbon that you could buy. And he had a rack, and it's, I mean, you, he had it like this, and it was up here, which is completely out of the regs. He had enlisted people stripes and officer, officer bars or something with some kind of officer rank on his shirt, his jacket at the same time, which you can't do, obviously. Right, but people want to pretend they're doing things, right? But these people did not pay the price of admission to earn to wear those items. And it's easy to see those people as spot like, dude, that's that's wrong. And like a hundred levels, that's wrong, right? But and it's harder to find out with Christians who are false teachers because sometimes it takes a little more doing and takes a little more work. But the good news is that God's chosen people do not have to pretend that they're Christians, and we cannot be lost. And we're not going to be thrown out because if we're saved, we're saved. We can't be taken out of the Father's hand, as Jesus says in John. Because and we've already been given our admission ticket, so to speak. Right? And so Jesus is very clear on his expectations as to what his teachings are and how to use them. And so he's also clear that there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be people who are going to try to influence and lead other people astray. But not everyone is saved. Not everyone gets into heaven. And that may seem unfair, but God is the God of justice, and he is just and he is holy, so not everybody can come in because they are not made holy. But the ones who do God's will, both with their faith and their works, are the ones who walk the narrow road toward God. And they're the ones being led by God himself down this road. So as we walk this road down this week and every other week, Right? Think about how we're doing and how we can be better as far as are we teaching the correct things? Are we really telling the gospel message? So as we do our last few songs, right? think about this. I'm not saying everybody's a false teacher, so I want to make sure we're clear on that. But make sure that we are telling the people the true gospel and not something that we think we made up or just because it makes us feel better. So let's, uh, those of us who are here, let's go ahead and stand for our... Last two songs.